Okay, so does anybody know where we were, what we were doing? Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. Yes, it is in Galatians, and we're going to start, yeah, Fruits of the Galatians. No, Fruits of the Spirit. Starting Galatians, chapter number 5. So we have gotten up through. We did this. I don't know if we did patience. Did not do patience yet. Yes. Yeah, so. So we'll get to it. Yes. <laughs> we will. We will. Honestly and truthfully. So can we? Can you tell me without looking what the fruits of the spirit are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, okay. self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience. What'd you say? Goodness? Kindness. Goodness. Kindness. Sorry, I can't write that fast. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Gentleness. And self-control. Control. Okay? And these are all things that we all find difficult to do, yes. all right? Yes. As humans, whether or not we know God, we find it difficult to start out with these. And there's a reason for that, because God never intended us to do them, okay? In the secondary plan. In the first plan with Adam and Eve, yes, he wanted everybody to do it, but where do the fruits of the Spirit come from? God, Jesus. God, the Spirit. The Spirit. Okay. <laughs> okay, so these are characteristics of God, right? They're characteristics of God, and that means that in order for Him to show His way through us, we have to do something. Now, when you talk about a fruit tree, what does it do when it, it has peaches, or it has cherries, or it has apples, or it has plums, or whatever? There's a word that people use to describe what it does. It produces. It, there's a word that starts with a Y. It yields. It yields, yes. It yields fruit, right? Which is a funny thing, right? Because the verse thing is, yes, it does produce fruit. The whole thing. But what does yield mean? Slow. No. It doesn't really mean stop. It means something else. Wait. Give way, right? So if... Give way. There you go, right? So much sense. Sit down. That's right. Light. So if you're coming up to a yield sign, you can roll right through it. Unless if there's a car coming the other way. Then you are wrong when they smash into you. Because you did not give way. Okay? Right? Give way. That's an important thing to look at when we're talking about fruit. So why does a fruit tree yield? What does it do to make fruit? It's a flower. Blossoms. And then it 
H12O6, is that what it is? Yes. Yes, that is. I'm telling you, that's 30 years I pulled that out of my hat. Right? <laughs> Pretty good, huh? <laughs> so it has a, a natural raw sugar, right, which is a basic sugar that it has. Not Probably it's a little different in every fruit. I'm sure there's all kinds of things. But we're just talking in general, okay? It does. So it needs nutrients, it needs water, it, and air because that's how you get the O6 part, right? So you put it all together, the C, the carbon, which comes from living matter, right? And the hydrogen, which comes from the water, and the oxygen, which comes from the air and the water. And it does a process in which it yields, and it says, I want this to grow my leaves bigger, doesn't it? And to grow my trunk bigger. Because isn't that what it wants to do? But instead it says, no, I'm going to give it, away give to it up children. and I'm going to yield. I'm going to give way to a great deal of it and it's going to go out into fruit, which will essentially just fall to the ground if no one picks it, right? So it's a whole lot of life that it gives. And that's an important piece to remember. It is a big piece of its life. It's actually giving up its energy to produce fruit. It takes energy to do it. Which is why well, there's lots and lots of healthy trees out there too. So so we're talking about healthy trees at this point, and I'm sure we can talk about sick and dying trees sometime too. 
okay? So, the nutrients in the air and the water and all creates a sugar source, adding more water and everything to it. So, this is a picture of fruit. This is why Paul uses this uh, analogy of the fruits of the Spirit. Because in order for you to have these things, something has to yield. You've got to give way. It's not you. It's allowing this to pass in and out of you. Right? Because that's what a tree's purpose is, right? Pass all the nutrients in and out of me because I need to give it to my fruit in order that people know, hey, I'm a pear tree. Right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just good to be cut down and burned up. So Paul uses this and Jesus uses this and he says, by their fruits you will know them. Now he talks, Jesus talks about this very interesting, uh, interesting thing. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. First, before we catch up, let me catch up to myself. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. All right, if you want to read 22 and 23, please. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. All right, so we've gone down the fruits of the Spirit, what it is, and no matter what... Mankind never has made a law against loving too much. Now, they may do other laws, right? But they've never said, you can't love. You can't be patient. Oh, no. No, right, right? Because these are natural things that everybody benefits from. Everybody. Even if you're not the one doing it. You benefit from other people that are peaceful around you, that are patient around you, that are good around you. Okay? If you go up, I used to work at the University of Rochester for uh, many years, and you go all around, there's parks, there's the Eastman School of Music, which was part of the University of Rochester, okay? Memorial Art Gallery, and many other things that are public parts of the city of Rochester, almost every single one of them were donated. Almost everything. Because somebody said, out of the goodness or kindness of their heart, I need to give back to somebody. And so how many people have benefited from that? Many, many, many people have benefited. Okay? Yep, well, not even necessarily that, but they just gave from what they had. It wasn't even necessarily a school at the time that some people gave, okay? They just said, I want to give back, all right? So it affected everybody. Now, let's go on to verse number 24 and 25, please. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right, so here's the challenge... He says, you have to, if you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ, 
then you are to crucify the flesh. Now, crucifixion is a process, right? It is not beheading. Beheading is a process too, but it's a pretty quick one when you get right down to it, right? <laughs> few, a few seconds, maybe a minute, and it's all over with. But it was pretty permanent right at the first second, okay? It was pretty permanent. You're not going to sew it back on at that point. Crucifixion was very permanent, but also was an agonizing and slow death. Many people died in three or four days, okay? Now, it happened that people, the Romans crucified people thousands and thousands of people, literally just to torture them and to hold people uh, accountable to them, I guess you could say, terrify them. They, they actually crucified so many people that they cut down every single tree in an area to crucify people, and they would, they would hang them along the roads and just watch them die. And they were pretty, they were pretty agonizing, pretty cruel. So the idea of crucifixion is definite and going to happen, but it's a process. So just like your flesh, it's definite, and it's going to happen. You're going to crucify it, but it's going to be a process. When you become a Christian, when you follow God, it's not like overnight you go, and oh, I'm all perfect. I, I have all love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control now. Because yesterday, I accepted God in my heart. Isn't that nice? I will never offend anyone again. <laughs> so it's not true. You're right. So what I'm saying is it is a process. Okay? He says you have to. And the only way, he says, if you're going to live in the Spirit, because what happens with the Spirit of God, and you should know this, most of you have been here long enough, what happens with the Spirit of God the moment you are saved? He enters into you. Okay? So that is living in the Spirit. But he says if you're going to live in the Spirit, you should... We just read it. Walk. Walk. You need to walk. Okay? And that means you have to live these things out. You have to live them out. So how are you going to live them out? Well, Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts. See what Jesus says about this, because in Acts chapter 1, the very, very beginning of the book of Acts, it talks about, this is before Jesus has left the earth, after he's been crucified and risen again, he's walked on the earth, appeared to people for 40 days, okay? Shown up in different places, on the beach, and with the two people on the road to Emmaus, and showed himself to Peter, and showed himself to Mary Magdalene, and lots of other people. He did all of that, and then it was time for him to go. And he says, it's critical that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. Now why that is, I don't know that, honestly. 
why couldn't they simultaneously do that? I, I don't know that. Uh, but for whatever reason, the plan of God was such to say that Christ goes from this earth and the Holy Spirit has to come. And here's what's going to be critical. He says, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 4 and 5. And this is what Jesus is saying. Okay, so here it is. They even have to have a little patience in this. Jesus, in this next passage, goes up into heaven. He's gone. And he gives them specific instructions. Do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here. Don't go out and start to try to talk about me. Don't do all the things that you think you want to do because you're all charged up. You need the Spirit to come. And it won't be many days, but it'll be a little bit. And one day the Spirit comes. And, and how does He show up? The day of Pentecost. What does He do? They're all up in the upper room. Oh. The fire. Fire. Fire what? On their heads. On their heads. Like what? What's it shape up like? Like a, a candle. No. Like a lantern. No. Like a fire. No. Well, like a tongue? Like a tongue! <laughs> yes. A tongue of fire because what is their job? Speak. 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 Right. speak, speak. With the fire, which the fire is the, the Holy Spirit, right? He's coming and he baptizes them with fire, right? In other words, you are now ready. You have received the Spirit. Now actually, Jesus does something unique here. He blows on them and says, receive the Spirit. But it doesn't happen that moment, okay? And you can try all you want. You're not going to be able to blow the Holy Spirit on anybody, okay? <laughs> you have to be Jesus to do it, okay? I'm just saying. But, you know, we'll be able to Elijah and Enoch, because they'll breathe fire. Yes, the reference to the two witnesses, yes, <laughs> yes. So here we are, and, and we see that Jesus says this, you don't bother even going out to do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. So the very first thing, the very first lesson is patience. What if they run out of food? They can get food in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Okay, that was the rule. Don't leave Jerusalem. Be ready. Be prepared. This is the thing. In order to have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is a very difficult thing to get. Okay? But more so, difficult to keep Him in your life. Because you have to be obedient. It takes yielding. Right? And Jesus says the process by which people know that you really have something real in your life that's attached to God is by giving fruit, or you yield. You allow God to flow through you. 
which means for each little thing, when we talked about love, that means sacrificing of yourself, right? And we talked about joy, that means, well, you kind of can't be crabby all the time, right? Yeah, right. And that means you're going to feel like being crabby all the time, but you can't be if God really is working through you. You've got to yield and say, okay, I'll produce this fruit. I'm, I don't even know how to do this, God, but if, if I say I'm going to yield to you, then produce that fruit, okay? Peace is the same way. You have to be the one to hold your tongue, okay? It's a hard thing to do. It's not natural. I'm telling you, it's not a natural thing to do at all to hold your tongue, and even when somebody is on you and tearing you down. Like anybody doing that. Yep. Anybody tearing you down and just to be a peaceful person. Okay? It's not a natural thing. Now, patience. Patience is that great thing. Patience is a very interesting thing. And as we go along, let's define patience. Everybody know what it means? Okay, yeah, and, and wait, your turn, that's an okay definition, it's, a, it's got something in it, anybody else? Here's one, you can tolerate delay, but here's the next piece. <clears throat> Without complaint <laughs> or getting angry or upset. You can tolerate delay without getting angry or upset or even complaining that you have to wait. That's what patience is. Not natural. Okay? Because I want it and I want it now. That's what I need. And I want an answer. And I want the things I need. And I want the things I want. That sounds somewhat like the word that I want it now. Yeah. It's, lots of people in this world say that. I want it and I want it now. Okay. But God says, no. Be patient. And man, are we glad that God is patient. Because what does he do? He tolerates a delay as we're trying to get things together and messing up and doing the wrong thing without complaint, without getting upset with us. He's patient with us in our lack of growth sometimes, in our slowness to respond, in our impatience. And he is patient with us. So that's why it's God's characteristic. And then because God has put all these things on us, He gives these to us. Okay, He acts this way towards us, is I guess a better way of trying to say it. He acts with goodness to us and kindness and faithfulness to us and self-control towards us. That means He wants us to yield that fruit out to people around us. Give it out. Give a little bit of yourself to say, I can be patient. I don't need to complain. 
I don't need to say something nasty. I don't need to have the last word. Okay? I can do something and give something up for another person. I can be happy today, even though I don't really feel like it. I can. I can I can be joyful. Okay? It makes an impact on other people. Alright, so we're gonna go to the best example of patience. Well, one of the best examples. We're going to go to the book of Job. Job chapter number 1. Verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed Keep going, please. His substance was also 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses, a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Keep going. We're going to read the chapter, please. And his sons went out and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Yes. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sacrificed them and rose up early in the morning and, of, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Maybe that my sons have seen me first God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and the sheep? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God or now? Not. Hast not thou made an hedge about him and his house and about all that he hath on his every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the world. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Go ahead, keep going. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding behind them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yet they had slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell me. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell me. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and had carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only escaped from the long time. While he was yet speaking, there came also 
ahead. Verse 20. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So here's a man. Satan's given, and we only know both sides of the picture because of what we're told in the book of Job here. But Satan is given reign over everything else. So he destroys everything, and not... A week later, going to lose this and that. He does it exactly in the place where as soon as everything dies for one and the one guy escapes just to tell him about it, okay, that guy's done saying it, the next guy shows up, and the next guy shows up, and the next guy shows up, and the next guy shows up. He loses all of his wealth and all of his children, all in a short time, okay? And his first reaction is to worship God which is not a normal reaction. Not what you feel, but it said, Job, in all of this, never charged God foolishly. He never complained. Which is pretty amazing. And you think if there's a guy that complained, hey, all of them? You know, <laughs> like everything, all in one day? Right? Isn't that like a legitimate complaint? Don't you think he's got something going for him? Wouldn't God tolerate that? But he is so patient. He tolerates. Now, what's the delay? That's funny because he's just lost everything, right? So what's the delay? It's all gone. He tolerates in that there's not even an answer from God. The next chapter... Satan comes back because his reaction was to worship God. Satan said, well, you know, you got him protected. If I could get at him physically, so God lets him go after him. Can't kill him, but you can go after him. So he, he covers him from head to foot with boils, okay? Big, pussy, pressurized boils. Painful, terrible things palms of his hands, bottom of his feet, up his legs, everywhere on his body, okay? That type of thing hurts, and they just keep coming back and coming back. You just scrape the stuff out of them. It's pretty like, nasty. Sort of like somewhat painful sometimes. Yeah, but way worse, okay? Way worse. A big, huge thing, all right? So when we... when Job sees this and he responds to it, again, he doesn't respond and he doesn't get an answer from God. His friends show up and sit for a week in silence. And then after a week, they begin to accuse him. You must have done something wrong, Job. Right? I think you screwed this up. You're telling me you're perfect, Job. But you really couldn't be. Nobody could. I think you did this wrong. And they go on all about the grandeur of God and how little he is. And Job just wants to die. But he does not complain to God. He says, I wish I was never born. Which is maybe a fair statement. He doesn't want to really live through all this, okay? But he 
does not complain to God. And even maybe that was a little bit on crossing the line. Because for the next 35 or 36 chapters, his friends go on and on and on about all the things that Job really probably didn't do right. There's no way he could have done everything right. Really, this is what it is. No, I know better than that. And on and on they go. When you are hurting, the last thing you want is advice of how you were wrong. But Job does not complain. And in the very end, for the last few chapters, God answers finally. And Job waits this entire time just for an answer. And do you know what God's gist of his answer is? That I have wisdom and why I do this. Just trust me. That's pretty tough, right? <laughs> right? That's not what you want to hear after you've just heard a whole bunch of things. But God, in a kind way, was able to do that. He sets Job straight on a couple of things. But again, Job is patient. But that's not the very, very end of the story. See, the very end of the story, if you go to the very last chapter, is that God gives back everything to Job. Well, I don't know if he gave back the same kids, but he had seven more sons and three more daughters. And when he gets to heaven, I guess he'll have 20 kids there. Okay? So, I don't... <laughs> now, could he have risen them from the dead? I guess so. It does not really say that. But it does say that his daughters were the most beautiful in the entire East. Okay? So, he was given... Yeah, it's pretty good, right? You know, right? <laughs> but he didn't complain. He waited. So that whole process, even of having kids and getting them and raising them and whatever it is, he's waiting for time and just trusting that God has wisdom. That's patience. I'm going to tolerate delay and not complain. I'm not getting angry. I'm not going to get upset. I'm going to trust. God has a plan. God can do something, even when somebody tears me down, even when somebody does something mean to me, nasty to me, I can tolerate it. I'm going to have patience with this. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to let God work through me. I'm going to allow Him to work through me. I'm going to yield my fruit in patience. It's going to be okay. And then as we go along in the Bible, uh, you also find another story. Actually, Job is one of the oldest written books, okay, but eventually you come along a guy named Abraham. Father Abraham. And why was he called Father Abraham? He had many sons. Did he? No. <laughs> no! He was the father of a nation. He was the father of a nation. And he was he was a hundred years old now, God had told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a nation of you. Great! So now that you're a hundred, you think it might be time we should start sometime? You know? My wife's 90. She's not a spring chicken anymore. Okay? So, they struggle with it. 
and they finally say, well, I guess God's plan must be this other way. And so Abraham uh, has a baby with Sarah's handmaiden. That's not the plan that God had. God says, that's not what I told you. Okay? <laughs> so he waited and waited and waited. He waited his entire life to have one promise fulfilled. The other promise that he got was, you are going to have a promised land. Your descendants will get this land. Every place you walk will become your promised land. Right? So he has the his son named Isaac eventually. Okay? And Isaac then has Jacob. And Jacob has the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, twelve sons, which make the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, through all of that, they still don't have a promised land. They didn't get the promised land until after a few hundred years in Egypt, okay, in slavery, and then God freed them. Now, was, the, was it the truth? Absolutely. Was it God's plan? Absolutely. Was he to be patient? Yes. He knew that the plan was true and real, and he may never, excuse me, he may never see it, but it was going to happen. And he trusted that it was going to happen. So he was not going to complain and say, how come I don't get to, to settle down? Abraham spent most of his life wandering. He never got, he got to see the promised land, but he never got to settle in it. Okay? And then there was Joseph. Now Joseph was one of those sons of Israel. Right? And he was promised that his brothers, his 11 brothers, and his father would bow down to him in a dream. A couple different dreams. But then, sort of on a little sideline, he was sold into slavery. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then he grew up in this house as a slave, and then the slave master's wife accused him of rape, falsely. And because he was a slave, he was thrown into jail. There was no trial. We just put you in jail. So he was there for a few years in jail. Okay? And after a few years, he's got a shot to get out. And his shot to get out is that he tells the dream of the butcher and the baker. Not the butcher and the baker. The baker and the cupbearer, right? Butcher and the baker. That's right. And the candlestick maker. <laughs> Maybe that goes with the tongues of fire. I don't know. So he goes with the... He tells the cupbearer and the baker about their dreams. One of them gets to go back to Pharaoh, and the other one's going to be beheaded. You're gone. Okay? So, the one that goes back to Pharaoh, he's like, hey, I was falsely accused, okay? You know how I just told you your dream, and it was right, and if you get back to Pharaoh, do you think you could put in a good word for me? Oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do that right away. Two years later, 
he hadn't quite remembered yet. Until the Pharaoh had a dream. And then when the Pharaoh had a dream, he said, Oh, yeah, I remember there was this guy in prison. Maybe he's still alive in there. I don't know. And he's still, <laughs> he might be, he might not be. We're not sure. But I bet you he could tell you your dream. So after all of those years from being sold into slavery and working as a slave and being falsely accused and in prison and forgotten in prison, he finally gets his chance. And a few years later, actually, probably around 10 years later or more, okay, somewhere between 7 and 10 years later, as the famine has gotten terrible, his family shows up. And it's just a little while later after that when they all bow down to him. Got to be patient. Maybe you should complain when you're in prison. Nah, Joseph didn't. Joseph didn't do it. He knew that God's promise was true. And I bet you there was days he didn't feel like it. Okay? But he tolerated the delay without complaint. He was not angry. He was not upset. I wonder... After he became second in charge to Pharaoh, did he think about the guy who forgot him for two years? Probably not. Would I have thought about him? Maybe. What kind of good job can I give this guy? <laughs> All right? If you're going on the natural thing, you would have. You'd have said, hey, why don't you shine my boots every morning? Come in about 6 o'clock. Do them again at 7. Do them again at 7.30. Why don't you just stand next to me and follow me around? Right? That's what sounds like a good idea. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. So, that's... But, but he is patient through it all. That's the point of these things. We tell you this because these people aren't waiting for a month for something or a week for something or a year for something. They're waiting for years for a promise of God to come true. Okay? And that very faith that they had was what God counted, their patience and their belief, God counted that as righteousness for them. He said, those are righteous people. Those are the people that are my people. They belong to me. They're yielding fruit. Now look at the things that Joseph did in his patience. In his patience... He kept his entire family safe. In fact, he not only did that, but he fed the entire nation of Egypt through an entire uh, a famine and fed most of the rest of the known world because he was able to save up enough for the first seven years to protect them all. He affected the known world because he was patient. I bet you he didn't feel like that when he was in jail. She didn't feel like that the day he was accused. But she didn't feel like that the day his brothers sold him into slavery. But God knew every step was important to get him there. And God was working the whole time on him. Every little annoying thing that happened in the jail cell or in, the, in his master's house or even with his master's wife accusing him, all of those things formed him just a little bit more. He made a choice. Do I yield to God in this? Or do I scream out and say, I'm innocent? Just yield to God. 
He made a choice, each one. And he yielded and said, God, I don't know what your plan is, and I sure don't see it. But if you, you, you got my life, so take care of it. And God did. Okay? God blessed him. Abraham grew a nation. Right? Job became the wealthiest man in the East with the most beautiful daughters. Okay? All of those things, because their patience paid off for them. No complaints. No anger. Okay? Not upset about anything. They're just saying, God, I'll let you do this in my life. Alright? So, this is how God does His works. He works on us through these little things. And as long as we yield, we just open up and say, Okay, I don't have to have it my way on this little thing. I'll let you be. I'll let you work in my life here. I don't have to stand up for my rights. I'm going to let you work. I'm going to be patient with this person. Alright? When you let God do that without complaint, then God begins to do works through you and He helps and He affects other people around you. Alright? And that's fruit. That's the beginning of what you see with fruit. And that's our fruits of the Spirit with patience. Thank you very much.